know that there are some of you here who have the talent to write music. Some of you write songs, and whether that's lyrics or tunes, I want to give you a challenge. And if you're listening to this sermon, uh, I want to extend this out. Talk to people you know. We need some songs about heaven. Like Brent said in his prayer, it's often not in the forefront of our thinking, but heaven's sort of back there as um, you know, a safety net for when we die and good thoughts about the great beyond and the hereafter. But we need songs about heaven. Because these songs, no offense, Brent, you didn't write these songs. So, you know, you, you, you chose well, by the way. You chose well. Because you got all those images out of, out of uh, Revelation 21. But, but I'm going to tell you, and, and I'll own this, and I don't want to ruin any songs for any of you. But I'm listening to some of those songs, and then I'm looking at Revelation 21, and I'm, I'm thinking all week, they don't all fit. You know. I like the idea of walking with the king by pastures so green. That works. But when I read Revelation 21, heaven's a city. I don't know. It's kind of disappointing to think that we won't get the the nice, great countryside mansion. But something else is going on here. And again, I wouldn't want to get so literal about all of this that heaven is nothing more than a huge cube coming down out of the sky, which is what you're going to see in the text. But I think we need more songs, no offense to these other songs, but we need more songs to describe other facets of heaven. Things that will inspire us right here and now, the way Revelation 21 attempts to do. And we're we're not entirely to blame. Durante Alighieri, also known as Dante, he wrote about uh, his, his mystical journey from, he went through hell, and then he goes through purgatory, and then he goes to heaven. And for him, heaven is moving up the ladder of the spheres, and so he visits the moon and the sun and Mars and Venus and so on and so forth until he gets to the outer realm, and that was his view of the universe. And in school, you probably only read the Inferno. Hell always gets more attention and more press time than heaven. Because in hell, you get a little bit of drama. Everybody wants to know who's in there. Hell is the gossip portion of that story. Heaven, you find out who's in heaven. Well, that's great. Wonderful. We always leave that out. I think the image of heaven ought to be all the more inspiring to how we live our lives and how we shape our world here. Because heaven has something to do with this world. Let's take a look at Revelation 21 and the first part of 22 and see what John's vision of the end is like and then what that means for us. John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city The new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them and they will be His people. 
And God Himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I'm making all things new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come with me. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And so he took me in the Spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and it sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper as clear as crystal. And the city wall was broad and high, with twelve gates guarded by twelve angels. And the names of the twelve tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were written the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. When he measured it, he found it was a square, as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. And then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, according to the human standard used by the angel. The wall was made of jasper, and the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. And the wall of the city was built on foundation stones, inlaid with twelve precious stones. The first was jasper, the second was sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. These twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. And the main street was pure as gold, as clear as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light. And the kings of the world will enter the city in all of their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of day, because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then the angel showed me a river with the water of life clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God 
and the throne of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him. And they will see His face, and His name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps, no sun. For the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Then the angel said to me, Everything you've heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. And that's an image of heaven that I think we ought to spend more time with and write our songs and let it soak into our thinking and our soul because it takes us into some different places that we don't typically go with the idea of the uh, heavenly hereafter. The idea of going to heaven. Now, you can get caught up in a lot of the architectural details of heaven, and it will get you distracted. Uh, How do you make a single gate out of a pearl? Well, you start with a really big pearl. And then you go from there. Uh, You might be looking at these precious stones and you might be thinking, well, I don't know. Are those engineering certified? I mean, will those materials really hold up? Are they structurally sound? Again, you're missing the point. What about that glass, that, that, that gold and that jasper that's clear as glass? Does that mean it's transparent? You're missing the point. Uh, and on and on it goes. And, and, and what's with this city being shaped like a cube? It's as high and wide as it is long, 1,400 miles, or is it 1,500 miles? Wait, what measurement did he use? We've got to know this. 216 feet thick, what does that matter? Again, you're missing the point. All of these images come together to say something, and to know it, you have to know what stories John is sampling. He has been bringing together a lot of images that, that, that his people would have already been familiar with, which even those may be forgotten to us because we've got these other ideas of heaven where heaven is that place where ghosts live, where you go after you die, where you float around in clouds and you wear golden slippers and you play harps. Find that in the Bible. Find the phrase going to heaven in the Bible. You're going to be hard-pressed. Heaven is so much more than real. It's all things new, not all new things. In fact, the very first verse should have caught our attention. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth because the old heaven and the old earth passed away. Wait a second. We've got an old heaven and a new heaven? Yeah. Heaven and earth was the way of describing the universe. It's a way of describing existence and reality. And so the new heaven and the new earth is the new redeemed reality. And God does not say that he's going to make all new things. Instead, he's going to make all things new. But if you want to get a glimpse of what heaven's all about, look at all of the things that John says heaven is not. 
there are certain things that are absent in heaven. And the absence of these things tells us something. Heaven has no, it has no sea. All of you who were hoping to surf in heaven, I'm sorry. Boy, and if that disappoints you and says, I don't know, I'm giving up on all this, then if there is no sea, again, you're missing the point. When John says there is no sea, he's probably referring to quite a few things. First of all, I think it's worth mentioning that, remember, John is in exile on an island. And and we don't know that this is what John means, but it's, it's worth thinking about. That the thing that's keeping him from the church, the thing that's keeping him from his people, is the sea. Being on that island without any kind of boat or transport is like being taken away, put in exile away from all your people. And if there's no sea, he can go and see them. He can go and be with them. But the sea is also the place of chaos. It's the place of evil. It's the place of turmoil. When God the Creator in Genesis 1, when His Spirit comes and hovers over the waters, He creates. God has removed all chaos and all everything that is is evil and chaotic and unsettled. He's removed that from the new heaven and the new earth. The absence of the sea means that the absence of destruction, the absence of natural disasters, the absence of things that we can't control, it's all gone. Everything is completely ordered as it should be. Heaven has no tears No pain, no sorrow, no crying. Now, again, you can argue, you know, somebody could argue, well, it it builds character to go through those things. We all need to cry. It's good to have a good, healthy cry. That's why we, uh, you know, watch tear jerkers. Okay, fine, that's fine. I get it, I get it. It's not that, and by the way, the, the image is there, and thank God for those songs that say that God wipes away all tears. By saying that heaven has no tears, no sorrow, no pain, no suffering, it doesn't mean that all of us in heaven have somehow been emotionally lobotomized. What it means is God comforts. And there's nothing there to bring about the pain and the sorrow and the crying. Those things are part of the old order that have been done away with. So for him to mention that those things are no longer there is to say this really is all things made new also heaven does not have well you look at this list of vices no cowards the cowardly the faithless the polluted the murderers the fornicators the sorcerers the idolaters the liars Now, if we were going to specifically take that list and we were going to break it down, we might say, oh, wait a second. Well, it doesn't say anything about this type of evildoer. It doesn't say, where where are the terrorists on there? Uh, Where where are the despots on there? Where are the the people that steal? Are they on there? Again, he's doing a vice list, and these vice lists were common in the ancient world. To describe things that happen that are considered unjust and not right. And this strikes, this list is meant to strike at our notion of what's right and wrong. And the message is that in heaven, that which is right, that which is just, happens. 
Not, in, not, not an idea, not a concept of it should happen, but it happens. It is the will of God. His will done on earth as it is in heaven, we learn to pray from Jesus. In 2 Peter, he describes the world that is to come, he describes it as the home of righteousness. That it has become the norm and the standard. And there's, there's nothing that challenges it. But John has been deliberate in choosing this list to mention these things. Notice that it begins with the cowardly and it ends with the liars. Those are two vices that would have been very particular to those who denied Christ, who denied that the, the Christian faith under pressure, under persecution, and maybe even those who turned on their fellow Christians. He's saying that those days will not, and those practices will not happen in heaven. There will be no more persecution. There will be no more, um, there will be no more denial of God because God will be there. And then when you look at the other vices that are in between, the, uh, the faithless, the polluted, the, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, that's a description of those who turned away from Christ and turned to the pagan, Roman cults. He says there's not going to be a place for them in the new heaven and new earth. It doesn't, it's not there. But here's the thing. This isn't just a list of who doesn't make it into heaven. And it doesn't say that those who have ever lied or those who have ever been cowardly or idolatrous. If that was the case, then, then Peter and Paul themselves would never make it into heaven because Paul was a murderer and Peter lied. What it's saying is, it's saying that those ways of operating, which again, for most of us, we ought to see that how often do we live in a world where we have to deal with the cowardly, the faithless, the murderers, the idolaters. We either have to deal with those problems in our own life or we have to suffer the consequences when that happens in the lives of others. When you turn on your local news, it can become incredibly depressing when you hear about all of the, all of the, the murders, all of the, the acts of violence. And we know that this hurts everybody, not just the victims. The message is that in heaven, there will be none of that. Righteousness and justice will be the norm and the standard. Funny enough, in heaven, there is no temple. That sounds like somebody forgot something important. Wait a second, if this is going to be heaven, if we're supposed to have worship 24-7, why don't we have a temple? Because heaven itself is the temple. God is everywhere. You know, the temple's actually kind of a limiting structure. When you think about the Old Testament temple and the, and the, the way it was described, and by the way, check out 1 Kings uh, chapter 6, verse 20, because that is important. It's one of those, those little facts from history that John has worked into that. You had all of your different courts of the temple. 
And you had limitations and boundaries. John's also sampling Ezekiel here. He's, going, he's picking up from Ezekiel 40 and 41 and 42. And there's this description of God's new holy temple. And the man with the measuring stick is there measuring everything out. Laying out the foundation and showing us the architectural blueprint. Where there's going to be the stuff that's in the holy district and the stuff that's in the not holy district. But in this vision, in this revelation vision... The whole thing is holy. Every bit of it. But in, a, in the temple of old, you had the, 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 the courts. And, and, and women could come into this court, but, not, but, but they couldn't come into this court where the men could go. And then the men could go a little further in. And then the priests could go into another little court. And only the high priest could get in to that very inner sanctum, that holy of holies. Which, by the way, was measured off like a square, the Holy of Holies. It was as wide as it was long, and it was as high as it was wide and long. The Holy of Holies was a cube. The whole city of God, the New Jerusalem, is a Holy of Holies. People are hearing John say that. They're picking this up. They're like, wow. So nobody gets excluded, right? Right. So everybody can go. You don't have special courts and boundaries and you don't have to have a higher level of clearance to get in. No. Everybody just comes in those big pearl gates. That's how it works in heaven. There's no sun or moon. We don't need lesser lights. The source of all light is there. There's no curfew. You know, right now the, uh, the communities that have been hit by the hurricane are under curfew. Now, you may hear that as something that your parents did for you when you, were, when you were very young, and it meant that all fun ended at a certain time or you had to be home by a certain time. Curfew is a security measure. It means gates will be closed, uh, action will be taken, because night is when the bad stuff happens. If any of you go on to play pro sports, okay, if you go on to do something in sports, let me just, actually this is good advice for all of us. Uh, you don't need to be anywhere except home at 2 a.m. in the morning, okay? Nothing good ever happens for an athlete at 2 a.m. in the morning. And unless you're working third shift, it doesn't work, it doesn't work out that well for most of us. Curfew then is meant to be a protective measure. But he says the gates don't get closed because night never comes. So the gates stay open. He says, we're in good shape in this new city. And there's no curse. The things that destroyed and corrupted and, and ruined the, the old heaven and the old earth, all of that has been cleansed from the new heaven and the new earth. And of course, there's no night where the bad things happen. Just that list of things that heaven does not have tells us a lot about what heaven is is i encourage you to take a look at that but it's the big revelation that heaven is a city heaven is a city coming from god out of heaven and it's the holy city it's jerusalem why well it's the bride of the lamb do you remember when the spirit last took john up to a mountain to see a city he saw the city of babylon or rome and it was a whore it was a woman who seduced 
a woman who brought in corruption. It was a disgusting image. But this is an image of perfection. This is a precious, beautiful bride. Isn't the bride of the Lamb the church? Yes. Yes. And that's the people of God, the people who make up the holy city. So this time he's being taken to see a very different picture of a city as a woman. It's a, it's a city that's renewed. It's not just new. One of the things that we ought to notice is that God doesn't just throw away the old creation. You and I live in a disposable society. When things don't work anymore, we just wad them up and we throw them away. We get rid of stuff. It's junk. It's not made to last. It's disposable. In fact, things are disposable now that we never would have imagined would be disposable. Phones are disposable. Cameras were disposable, and now phones are cameras. And cameras are phones. And we have so many different things that we just throw away. They even have, in some countries, disposable cars. Did you know that? Some of the cars I've owned were disposable. I just didn't know it. And, uh, but, yeah, they, they make them out of cardboard even. And so we're so used to things not lasting. But here, God is going to renew these things. He's going to redeem these things. He's not just going to junk them because they're no good. Think about it like this. If you and I believe that we live in a world, in a universe, that's just going to get trashed when God is through with it, then who cares? Who cares? Oh, God's got this great building project somewhere, you know, and all this. What's he going to do with it? Ah, you throw it in the trash heap. Hmm. Some of that fire that is spoken about, about the fire that comes over the earth, is like what we sang about last week, the refiner's fire. The refiner's fire is not a destructive fire, but it's a cleansing fire. It, it, it refines material. It refines precious metals. You melt through them, and it gets all that dirt off of it, and it gets all that, that grime out of it, and then you skim that off, and then you have purified metal. The world that you and I live in is in some way, in some way, and I won't dare to explain it, because Scripture doesn't go that far. But in some way, this existence that you and I are in is consistent and continuous with the new heaven and the new earth. I don't think that's heresy. I, don't th- I think it's heresy to say that God takes the good creation and disregards all of His covenants and throws them away and just junks it and starts over. In fact, when you read in Isaiah, it's in Isaiah, uh, of all things, it's in Isaiah 49. God, God described, here's one of those images of God as a woman. He's got feminine attributes that he is like a mother with a nursing child, and he cannot forget about his child. And he's comparing himself to that mother who is so attached to that needy child. And he says, that's my relationship with Jerusalem. He says, your name is graven into my hands. So at what point then does God say, I'm tired of Jerusalem, get rid of it. Because people who are watching say, God made some promises to Jerusalem. Is he going to keep those promises? And the answer is, 
yes. And all of that structural language of the city, the man with the measuring stick, the walls and the foundations, that comes out of Ezekiel 40 and 42. It means that the city is structurally sound. Not structural in the way we think of it, but it's sound. It's built on a good foundation. It's built on the foundation of God's covenant promises to His people. His promises to the twelve tribes of Israel. His promises and His word through the twelve apostles. It's built on those promises. God didn't abandon those covenants. He didn't didn't turn on them. As the old timers used to say, he didn't crawfish. He didn't, you know, he didn't back up. He, 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 you can trust him. He kept the covenant. But it was Israel that was often unfaithful. And it's been the people of God who are always unfaithful. But God keeps his side of the covenant. As we sing in a song, he keeps his covenant of love. And so now God is keeping that covenant and all of his people. He will be with his people. And even more than he had with Moses, even Moses could not see the face of God and live. But in heaven, we see God face to face. He says, my people will be there. And again, bringing Ezekiel's words into this. I will be with them. I will be their God. They will be my people. That language is there. That intimacy, that closeness. And you know what? The nations are still around. I'm not saying that there's a UN. I'm not saying that we have national borders or anything like that. I, but, but it's interesting that, that God is a God over all nations. Even with Israel, that was the case. When you look at the prophecies of Isaiah and Ezekiel, sometimes he's talking about Israel, and sometimes he has a prophecy for Egypt or some other nation. And he says, you need to hear what God's saying about you too. That means that today, this very day, if we may think that because here we are, and we've got our flag up here, that God is especially, particularly interested in the United States of America. But I'm going to tell you, God cares about what's going on in North Korea. God cares about what happens to the nations in Africa. God cares about what happens to every person on this earth because he's the creator God and we are all his children. Some children are astray. Some children are rebellious. Some children don't know. But God still loves them. And God has a plan to redeem all that. Now, when you think about this, when you consider all this and what God feels and where he's heading with this and what he's going to do, where all of these many nations are there and you've got those leaves that become the medicine for the healing of nations, many nations, but one people, the people of God. When you think about that, doesn't that get us past some of our mental blocks about heaven and our anxieties. And it ought to gear us up to think, okay, wait, if this is the way the world is going to be, if this is God's will, if this is where he's going, if, if it's not about us just going to heaven and escaping this world, we're not going to get raptured and some of you are going to be left behind, but it's about heaven actually coming down to earth and in some way recreating and renewing all things so that it is the perfect 
heaven and earth that God always intended. If that's God's mission, then where are you and I in that mission? How do we play our part in that mission? You know, this ought to lift the burden and the anxiety off of us. Oh, I hope we can get the church built up. I hope we can do things because if we don't, God's mission may fail. God's not going to fail. He is working it every day. He, one, every day is one day closer to the recreation of all things. And sometimes, and especially when we talk to our friends, we get caught up in this worry that, that God is this, is this sort of angry ogre who's out there at the end of time. And when he's done with this earth, he is going to crumple it up or he's going to you know, shoot it with a uh, flamethrower and just get rid of it and trash it because he's just so sick of it and tired of it. But God is not a destroyer. God is a creator. The very first thing we learn about God in Genesis is that God is a creator. And so he can create again. The message of the death and resurrection is that humanity can kill. Humanity can destroy. We can shame with a cross. We can kill with a cross. But only God can bring life where there's death. God can recreate and renew all things. Now, if that's the way it's going to be, if that's where all this is headed, then where do you and I fit into this? What does this change about the way we live right here and now? They say that your evangelism is going to be based on where you think things are going. And if we think that the end of time is nothing more then a huge fire sale where everything's going to hell, but if you've got a ticket or insurance, you get out of it, then yeah, our evangelism is going to be scary, it's going to be fearful, it's going to be fraught with danger. But if we believe that God is going to recreate all things and renew all things, and there will be no place for evil or wickedness or rebellion to God in that new realm, then aren't we going to first think about cleansing ourselves? And getting right, and then we're going to invite others because God has made it possible for all of us to enter into those gates into the holy city. We can be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. We can wear His name. And everyone, everyone is invited. What we're called to do is humble ourselves and submit to Him. Let's live our lives as if that holy city is coming down from heaven even now. As we stand and sing this song, I, I, I want you to know that uh, there's so much more to this than what we even preach today. And I apologize if I preached long. But there is so much more to this, and we want to help you with that. Now, right now, there's some of you who may want to pray. Maybe you want the elders up here to pray with you. Uh, they can tell everybody what you're praying about, or you can just come up here and you can tell these elders, hey, I want you to pray for me. God knows what you need. There will be elders in that room back there with pews. You can go pray with them, or you can share it with those that you'll meet today because we are all given the privilege of praying with one another. Let's stand and let's sing together now.